Well, welcome everybody. I can see you're all very excited tonight. Amen. It's great. Is the sound okay? Is it too loud? Is it fine? Is it good? Okay, good. Amen. So, a lot's been happening in the, in the body of Christ over the last two weeks, especially. And I don't know about you, but there's just no question that God is busy moving. He is busy moving. And I'm really excited about it because you can just, you can just feel, you can sense it's like everything's different. You know, even in the morning when I get up to pray and get in the Word with the Lord, I, I just, I can sense that something has begun to shift. There's been a, there's been a change. And it's almost like, you know, you, like you wake up and then you go and you speak to the Lord. And it's almost like, you know, like, Lord, you know, like, don't forget about us. <laughs> you know, like we want to be a part of what you're busy doing, you know. And I honestly feel like God has been so good to us here at Oceans. And I say that with, with great thankfulness, with gratitude towards Him, because He has moved so powerfully here, you know, over the years. And there's definitely been an increase here as well. But it's so easy for us as His people to become familiar, to become complacent. One of the things you'll notice if you take a look at the Ashburn University revival is that there is a hunger. We can talk about hunger. We can sing about hunger. But you either are or you aren't. It's one of the two. But when you are, God responds to that in the most incredible way. You know, it's, it's, it's been really interesting kind of watch the dynamics. Different opinions, you know. This is why it's happening, and we don't want this to happen. And, you know, why can't we just thank the Lord for it? You know what I mean? Let's just be grateful. I don't know about you, but I believe that our nation is so desperate for a move of God's Spirit that this is such an answer to prayer. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. It doesn't matter how, what expression it is. Man, as long as God is there, I'm just so excited about it. I'm so thankful for it. I just am looking forward to what he's going to continue to do. That's what's, I don't really care what anybody thinks, quite frankly. I just want to know what God's busy doing. I want to be a part of what he's busy doing. So let's just enjoy that. You know, really, you know, we, there's no, you know, we're not going to be able to like, you know, give a five point reason of why this and it's because of this and it shouldn't be because of that. And it's not this expression and that. I don't care. I mean, who cares? You know what I mean? God is moving. Young people, young people. Most of them have gender identity problems. They, 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 they're crying out to God. They're repenting. they on their knees. The best, my favorite photos are the ones where all the young people are at the altar. And you can see their eyes are red and their faces are red because they've been weeping before the Lord. That's revival. That's a move of God's Spirit right there. Well, you know, that wasn't a revival. This is a revival. Oh, shut up, man. Be quiet, man. I just want to see people get saved and people encounter the glory and the presence of God. That's all that matters. People's lives being impacted. People's lives being changed. You know, that's, what, that's what's important. I'll have revival in my bedroom. And then none of you will even know how awesome it was because you weren't there. And you can't tell me that it wasn't this denomination or that expression or no tongues or tongues or whatever. I was there all by myself and it was awesome every minute of it. Amen. Just know this. That the timing of this is just so incredible. And this is happening in the midst of so much chaos in our nation. It's just, it's, it's happening. It's happening, guys. It's busy happening. I, I can tell you right now, it's busy happening. You don't have to be in, in, in wherever, Kentucky, to experience. It's happening. He's moving. God is moving. Amen. 
And so over the last few weeks, the Lord has been giving me a message that I'm going to minister tonight. And I kind of like was waiting for the right time. And even though this is a subject that I speak a lot about because I understand the importance of this subject, I really believe it's tied to what's necessary for revival. Because one of the greatest problems in the church is our hearts. Our hearts, including me. It's just a problem, man. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in our belief systems and what we want God to do and what we believe it should be that we miss everything He is busy doing. So my message this evening, you guys gave me such a better name. What was it? Annie, what was the name? Oh, she forgot. How bad is that? See, I'm testing her out. The danger of a deceitful heart. The danger of a deceitful heart. I just want to say that both you, Naomi, and Annie, you're fired. <laughs> All right. Just listen to this. Acts 13, 22. This is what it says. And when they had removed him, this is talking about Saul, he raised up from them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Man, that's my prayer for myself, for you, that God would find us to be a people that's heart will be after Him and have a desire to do all of His will, His purposes, His plan, so that one day when we get to heaven, it's like when you get to heaven, when you go to heaven, it's like this, guys. It's like this. And you're there. And when you do that, when you take that step, when you cross over those words, you will hear them. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter in to this joy of mine. Enter in to this next part of your life. Enter into the greatest part that's waiting for you on the other side. Enter into that because you have been faithful with little. I'm about to give you so much more than you ever imagined. Amen. I can only imagine what heaven must have looked like the day David arrived there. Amen. I mean, can you just imagine? Angels were waiting all these patriarchs and Abraham and Moses and they were all there and in came King David. I mean, just, you know, there he is, you know. The guy that was the man after the heart of God that just loved the Lord deeply and passionately and wrote the most awesome Psalms. And I'm so jealous because I wish I could do the same. But I start beautifully with like three words and then the rest of it's just terrible. So I just pray in tongues because it's just better. It's just so much better. Amen. And at least I know when I'm doing that, I'm praying mysteries. <laughs> Secrets, hidden things. Because when I speak in tongues, I speak not to men, but to God, for no one understands me. Amen. All right. Let's not get Pentecostal. Let's calm down. All right. And with all that in mind, this is what the Bible has to say about the heart. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3, it says this, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Everybody say all. I want you to know that this list includes you. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Wow. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. We've heard this a million times, but have you ever really thought about it? Jeremiah 17 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Stop for a moment. That means that there is nothing else more deceitful than the heart. But I have a wonderful heart that's seeking after God. 
But yet the Bible tells us that the heart is the most deceitful thing. There is nothing above a deceitful heart. That is the highest thing that will deceive you. If there is anything in you that will deceive you, it's your own heart. And that's scary. Come on, somebody. And then he goes on and he says, it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The word desperately in the Hebrew actually means it's incurable. The heart is so deceitful and so wicked that it is incurable. Your problem and my problem is our heart. I've said this before. Oftentimes we'll go, well, you know, God knows my heart. Yep, that's right. He knows your heart. <laughs> I wouldn't be saying that loud if I was you. Because we're like, we're so confident that we're right in our expression or whatever it is we're wanting to prove. We're so right. And God knows my heart. Yes, He does. He knows your heart. He knows that it's desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things. And he says that no one, who can know it? He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Now, I want to show you something from Scripture. You may know the story, but maybe you've never seen what I'm going to show you tonight. That this did not exclude David. David's heart deceived him in such an incredible way that he could not recognize the deceit. We're talking about the, the guy that the Bible says is a man after my own heart. When God spoke to Samuel, he said, I, have, I want you to go and I want you to go and get the guy that's the guy that's after my own heart. So this is not only something that someone in the book of Acts wrote. This is something that God himself said. He is the man after my heart. Are you with me? So we all know King David, the guy that slayed Goliath, the one who wrote Psalm 91. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, he just, he was like incredible. David walked with God. He, he obeyed the Lord in so many ways. He did so many good things. But eventually something changed in him. And I want to go to 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. I'm going to read this whole story to you. I don't want to tell it to you because I want you to miss nothing. You need to see this. Watch what he says. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, I think right now things are tough for David. He's having an afternoon nap, you know. David got, listen, you know, we say that, but, you know, if you study David's life, listen, at this point in his life, he probably deserved a nap. Seriously, I'm not kidding. You know, I mean, this guy had bled. He had fought wars. He had lived in caves. He had to act like a madman. He slayed giants. Listen, it was time for David to have a nap. So don't be too hard on him. You know, plus he was dealing with people and after this he's got to deal with absolute, this just never ends. So there's nothing wrong with David taking a nap, okay? Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It was interesting when I had a look at this, you know, I knew who Uriah was. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Uriah had walked and bled and fought next to David in the, in the meanest battles. But not only that, Scholars tell us that because Uriah's house was close to the palace, he was really highly esteemed. 
and a, you know, someone that the king esteemed highly. So he was a man of, of stature. He was a man of valor. He was a loyal man. And here he's on the roof watching Uriah's wife take a bath, a bath. It's a bath where I come from, amen? <laughs> Whether she was bathing or bathing, he shouldn't have been watching, amen? <laughs> but there he was on the roof and he was watching her. And listen, you must understand that he absolutely understood and knew that what he was about to do was wrong. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period when she returned home. So the Bible wants you to understand that what's about to take place could not have happened through anybody else except David. Because she had just had her period. Is that okay? Can I say period in church? Okay. All right. <laughs> Later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. You must understand what's going on here is David is calling for Uriah because he wants to persuade Uriah to be with his wife so that he will think that he's the one who impregnated her. And it wasn't through some other means. Are you with me? So he calls for Uriah. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. This is the kind of guy he was. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. And when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why, did you, why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are, are living in tents and Joab, my master's men, are camping in the open fields. How can I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. So David's got a problem. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. David got him drunk. See, David's very righteous. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So the next morning, David wrote to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. David has realized that Uriah is not going to do what he's asked. He is too upright. He is such a good man and such a man of honor that he will not do what any normal man would do. It's incredible. Are you with me? Please remember, Uriah is not the one that the Bible talks about as a man after God's own heart. David is. The one who is doing all of these things. So David becomes so desperate that he says, right, I need to write a letter to Joab. I need to take care of Uriah because there's a lot at stake. His reputation, his kingdom, all kinds of different things are going through his mind. Are you with me? Verse 14, so the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. Wow. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city 
wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men would fight, uh, were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out to the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. I want you to see something. David did not only have Uriah killed, but others too. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to show you how wicked David was. That's not my, my goal here at all. You'll understand in just a moment. But I want you to see what happened to him. He had gotten to a place where he was busy going in this downward spiral to try and justify or correct what he had done wrong. And it was getting worse and worse. It had gone from, from, from the lust of the eyes to the lust of the flesh. And now he's busy murdering people. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Are you with me, guys? He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. This is what Joab told, told him to tell, to tell the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know they would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech's son of Gideon killed? at Tebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too? Wow. So in other words, the whole strategy of putting them so close to that army, all those men, not only Uriah, was for the purpose of being obedient to King David. And let me tell you, Joab was a pretty special guy as well but he was being obedient to his king. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today. And that one tomorrow, fight harder next time and conquer the city. This is not like David at all. This is not how he is. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what, had, what, what David had done. Can you imagine? So now God is not happy with David. David has gotten to this place where he's allowed his heart to get so deceived that he does this unbelievable act. But this is not what I want to show you because most of you in the room already know about that story. You already know that David did this. And if you didn't, now you do. <laughs> we all know the good things he did, but now we get to see you know, where he really came short. But what stood out to me in the story is what we're about to read. Because you see, God sends Nathan the prophet to David to tell him a message. Now watch this, because this is so powerful. 2 Samuel 12, verse number 1. Don't worry, there's not too much more reading, and then we'll just dive into it. Are you guys still okay? You have to see it all to understand it completely. Watch the story, pay attention, see if you understand what the prophet is saying. 2 Samuel 12, verse number 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. So God sends the prophet specifically to tell the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had brought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the, of the rich man. Instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Everybody look at me. Who is Nathan talking about? It's not hard to recognize that David 
is the one that is this rich man. He is the one that killed this poor guy that had just one little lamb. I mean, if you read it, you can clearly see it after knowing what's taken place. And the prophet comes to town. Listen, when prophets came to town, it normally wasn't good news, just so you know. So he comes and tells David the story. Now watch this, because this is what shocked me so much. Verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one who he stole and, 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 and for having no pity. What's going on here? David is so caught up in his deception that he cannot recognize this is him. That's the danger of a deceived heart. That's what happens to us when we start to believe that it's okay for us to do something that God says is not okay. And then all of a sudden, someone will come and tell you, listen, brother, I don't think that's such a good idea. And you'll be like, what are you talking about? Why? Because your heart has become so defiled and so deceived that you cannot recognize what's taken place. I counsel people. I've counseled people for years. Married couples, single people. I've counseled many. No, I'm not going to counsel you, okay? But let me tell you something. Over the years... This is the one thing that when this walks into my office, it breaks my heart because I worry so much about what will happen after this. People will come into my office and tell me that God told them that this is what they must do and that's what they must do. And then I'll say to them, listen here, that does not line up with God's word. Straight like that, I'll tell them. And then they'll say to me, but you know, Pastor Alex, this is the Lord. He wants to bless me. He wants me to be happy or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, brother, you are so deceived. And the problem is, is that he is deceived. Why? Because the deceit has got into his heart. This is exactly what happened to David. David had gotten to this place where he was able to persuade himself somehow that what he was doing, he was going to get away with. And then when Nathan comes and spells it out for him, because of the type of person he really is, he gets up and goes, this is unacceptable. This guy should be killed. He needs to pay for this. And you need to understand something. He had no idea that this is, the prophet was talking about him. He had no idea. Can you imagine? I mean, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, I would have known it. <laughs> Like when I saw him at the door, I would have said, don't even speak, I repent. <laughs> what I want you to understand, listen to me. I am almost sure, I, I, obviously I can't prove this, but I don't believe the story was finished. I think there was going to still be more. But David interrupted him and said, how is this so? And began to be all angry. And because of his response and because the prophet realized, listen, brother, you, have, you are deceived. Your heart has gotten to this place where it's accepted what is unacceptable to God. And the biggest problem of it all is that you can't see it. You can't see it, David. And now that he increases in the kitchen, watch this now. Amen. So David's going off in verse 6. He says, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord? Everybody say the word of the Lord. Therein lies the problem. As soon as you start to despise God's word, 
and begin to accept what is not right, it is going to cause your heart to enter into deception even when you feel justified. You cannot be justified. Even when you have been hurt, you have no justification. Why? Because Jesus has paid a great price for you. This is sometimes very difficult to understand. But grace is something so powerful, so precious. Yes, we get hurt. Yes, we we take offense, but we have to guard our hearts and not allow it to stay in us. We have to go to God so that we can heal when something goes wrong. Are you with me? Amen. Then he says in verse number nine, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with a sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And then he goes on and tells David everything that will take place. I'm going to teach you the secret to recovering from a deceived heart in just a moment. But I want to show you something amazing that Jesus said. Watch this. In Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus said these words. He said, for from the heart came evil thoughts. Watch this. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Do you see that list? In the story I read you, David did every one of those things. Every single one. Why? Because his heart had been deceived. David was a good guy, people. Come on, he was a great guy. He was a wonderful king. You're all so judgmental. Now you're all like, I don't like David anymore. Now my favorite Bible character is Paul. Paul was pretty bad too. He he didn't like Christians for a really long time. (laughs) Who who else? (laughs) See, God doesn't want me to say that. What other Bible person should we have a look at their sins? Let's do it. Come. Because there's all of them messed up at some point. No one was perfect. There was only one who was perfect. There's only one who takes away the sins of the world. There's only one who was righteous. There's only one. And His name is Jesus. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And your life will never change until you fully understand that you need Him in everything. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, you need Him at work, you need Him in your family, you need Him to help you so that you can overcome sin. You need Him in everything. Everything. Jesus is trying to show the disciples and the Pharisees actually that actually the problem is the heart. It's not what comes out of the mouth that defi- or what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. Because what comes out is what's in the heart. This is what this text is all about. And then he shows us this list. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Church, don't get mad at me, but we're not supposed to do that stuff. So if you do it, Don't justify it. Repent and do it quickly. When I say repent, that means don't do it again. And if you you really do it again, don't do it again. But if you do, then repent again and be sincere. And then that time, don't do it again. But if you continue in that lifestyle of repentance, your repentance is in question. I'm not trying to be judgmental at all. I'm trying to show you the danger of how it gets, your heart becomes deceived. It's a downward spiral. Who would have thought that this list would be everything that David did, the man after God's own heart? It gives me hope. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There are obviously other things that can cause a heart to become hardened. You see, David's heart had become hardened. It can be pride. There's so many things. It's hurt, pain, rejection. 
Offense. If you're in ministry, get ready for offense. It's coming. Offense will come. Trials, tribulations, they will come. But you have to stand firm. You have to protect your heart. Because as soon as you begin to think, well, you know, I just, you know, just, I'm just gonna do a little bit of this that I shouldn't really be doing. And then you begin to say, well, you know, it's actually okay to do this. I'm sure God would be okay with it. What ends up happening is you begin to deceive yourself. Your heart begins to deceive you and you think everything is fine. That's why the Bible tells us over and over and over, examine yourself. Are you still in the faith? And in fact, a lot of the list that he tells us to go and look at is some of those things. Single woman. Please, don't sleep with every guy in church. Don't clap. Don't do it. You are precious. You are holy. If he wants to do that, he must marry you. He must honor you, respect you, cherish you. Why do you give what he doesn't deserve? Are you with me? Do what is right in the sight of God. I don't care how old you are, 13 or 65. Don't do it. And if you're a guy sitting here thinking you're going to target all the women in the church, there's the door. You can leave now. You can leave right now. We have to be different, guys. We have to change. And if we get to this place where we're beginning to live a way that we're not supposed to live, there's good news. The good news is that if our hearts come before God and our hearts are truly, truly repentive, He restores. I want to show you, I had so much more, but let's go real quick to Psalm 51. This is David's response to the Lord after Nathan came to him. Watch this now. Listen, I went after one thing. I could give a lot of examples. Is that okay? Just one this tonight, okay? I don't want to call out all the sins, you know? Okay. <laughs> we'll be here a long time, okay? <laughs> okay. Psalm 51, verse number one. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet went to him, after he'd gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Everybody look at me. The first thing you do when you have made a mistake or done something that you know isn't really right, is acknowledge it. You don't have to beat yourself up for every little thing you do wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But if you start to see you're getting, or you're going in a path that's causing you to possibly enter into a form of deception, acknowledge it. You cannot be right all the time. I have learned that by watching Naomi. She cannot be right all the time. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> he says, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. And I've told you this before, but this is my favorite part of this entire text. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned. In other words, listen, he had caused a lot of harm to a lot of people, but he realized that the greatest offense was to the Father. And he so desperately wanted God to forgive him. He so desperately wanted to acknowledge what he had done and recognize at this point fully aware that his heart had been deceived. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And if you go study it, you'll find out what 
what was spoken over him to be judged was not nice at all, but he said to the Lord, you are right in what you do, Lord. Incredible. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me, make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. He realized that his heart had become deceived. He realized that his heart was desperately wicked. So he says to the Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He realized that his heart had been the problem. His heart was the problem. He'd gotten so busy with everything. So many things had taken place. So many wrongs had been committed. And he allowed it to affect his heart to the point where he entered into such transgression. And his heart was so deceived that he couldn't even see it. But now he realized it. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your, your, your generous spirit. Then I will teach your transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David understood that the only way that he could fully be restored was to fully surrender his heart to God. To fully admit and acknowledge the wrongs that he had made. He had the right to be offended for some stuff, guys. Go read your Bible. This guy must have carried a lot. We read through it like it's nothing. Most of us wouldn't survive half of what he did. And then we read what he did wrong and we're like, man, it's evil. Yes, it is. It's very evil. But his repentance is so sincere, so genuine that God forgives him and restores him. And now I want to show you why this it was such an important story for where we are right now on the planet. Go to Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. That's who he will be with. Watch this now. To revive the spirit of the humble. Why is that important? Because you have to get to a place if you truly have been walking with God for a long time and you really want revival, you really want to be revived, you have to be humble. What does that mean? That means you have to be fully acknowledged in acknowledgement and fully surrendered to the fact that you can't do this without God. I know I can't. I know I can't. Can't, can't. I know it. I've gotten to that place where I'm fully, fully aware that without Him, there is no hope. That's why I come to church just as desperate to see Him move. Because I know if He's not here, I'm in big trouble. If His presence is, is, isn't here, that's why David said, listen, Lord, just don't take your spirit, don't take your presence from me. Listen, God told him that his son would be put to death. God told him that his, the sword would never depart from his house, and it didn't. And all he's worried about is, Lord, just don't take your presence from me. Now you understand why God says he's a man after my heart. Most of us, if God just said that he's going to just give you a rough week next week, we would turn away from him. Are you with me? 
He says, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. If we really want to see revival, if we really want to be revived, because is that not what revival is, to be revived? We have to come before Him with a humble spirit and a contrite heart. In other words, we come before Him and we say, God, we realize that without You, we can do nothing. We realize, we recognize, Father, that without You, we can't achieve anything. David says, my sin is before me. He's, his sin is right there. He's, he's so aware of it. And he says, Lord, just blot it out. Take it away. He will do that for you. He's promised to do so. And his son takes away our sins. Come on, are you with me? But true revival is for those who have a humble spirit and a contrite heart. I've seen so many posts about, oh, you know, the church this and the church that, and da, 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 da. how many of you are willing to stay here till tomorrow morning? Don't clap, don't get excited. I'm being serious. Think about it. How many of you will stay? How many of you are really so hungry for revival, so hungry to be revived that you just, listen, most of us by eight o'clock, Pastor Alex, you need to finish. I need to get to Chipotle. Oh, well, you know, it's the pastor's fault. No, it's not. Sometimes it is. In part, it is. I would rather say this. It has to do with all of us. How hungry are we really? How desperate are we really? Are we really willing to have that humble heart that says, God, I recognize that I've been doing some things. I've allowed some things in my life and I've accepted them because I'm under grace. But tonight, I want to give it to you. Tonight, I want to humble myself and acknowledge what I have done wrong. Do you know that every revival in history starts with repentance? No wonder, no wonder the devil wants doctrine that says we don't need to repent. Repentance, one of the key factors to true repentance is acknowledging that we need God. I want to read two quick scriptures to you. Some of this was actually for tomorrow, but I want to read it to you quick. And then I'm going to maybe close. We'll see. Amen. Are you guys okay? Watch this now. John 15, 5 says this. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. Now watch this. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In order to do all things, I need Him. Without Him, I can do nothing. So acknowledge Him. Come before Him. Surrender your heart to Him. Have a humble and contrite spirit. Listen, there's not one person in this room that can stand boastfully and say that I am without sin or that I am perfect. Not one. From the back to the back. We are all here because of grace and grace alone. But if we want to see the Lord truly move, I really believe that one of the things, one of the keys to the church's condition is the heart of the church. And when I say the heart of the church, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about the people. Amen. So what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it?
Let's bow our heads this evening. Father, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful, God. It's so rich, so full of life. You teach us in your word, Lord, how to live. And I'm so grateful because, Lord, we have life and life more abundant. And there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We know this, Lord. But I pray, God, for each and every person in this building tonight. I pray for my own family, for myself, God, that you will give us eyes to see. When, when Jesus spoke and said that our heart is this way, he said it's because you, have, you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. I pray, God, that our eyes would be opened, that we would see what it is that you are saying, God, that we would prepare our hearts for such a time as this, Lord. I thank you for each and every precious person, their lives, God. And my desire is to see each and every one of them walk in the fullness of what you have for them. But the greatest part of the fullness that you have for them is to know you more. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to every individual watching this morning, this evening, in this place or even online. Draw us to yourself, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us our own hearts, that you would cause us to recognize those areas, those things, Lord, that are deceiving us, that are causing us to be wayward in any way. And I recognize tonight, God, that I need you. I need you, Lord. I, I come before you in total surrender. Lord, I bring my family with, you, with me, my wife, my children. We as a family, we come before you, God. We need you, Jesus. There's no place in my heart, Lord, for anything else. I need you. I need you, Lord. I pray for every person, Lord, in this place this evening. Help us to recognize your presence. Help us to recognize your spirit. Help us to be sensitive to your word, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray this right now. Right now. Can we sing a song to the Lord? Can you do that, please? Just stay in this posture for just a moment.
this evening in this atmosphere, if you are here and you say, Pastor Alex, tonight I want to come before God. I want to lay everything before Him. I want to bring my heart before Him. If that's you, you can stay where you are. You can come to the front. We're not going to draw the service out. We're going to sing one or two more songs. But we're just going to enter a time of just coming before the Lord and just being real with Him this evening. No hype, no anything like that. Just a few minutes. If you want to come to the altar and you want to do that this evening, if you want to repent, whatever it is you want to do, come and do so. You can stay where you are, whatever you feel in your heart. I just want to give us an opportunity to do that just for a few more minutes. Amen.
Father, we thank you so much that in the story of David, Lord, the best part is that your grace was sufficient for him, that you fully restored him. Let us keep a contrite heart, Father, a humble spirit. Let us always walk in that, Lord, all the days of our life. And help us to always be fully dependent on you, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for your love this evening in this place. Over every person in the front, in their chairs, Father, wherever they are, Lord, watching online, thank you, Father, that you are moving and touching hearts this evening. You are our restorer, our healer, our deliverer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit.